Yo, this is Conan. You're listening to World of Wrestling Podcast with Tax and Rich. Boom. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the World of Wrestling Podcast. My name is Rich, and as always, I'm joined by my good buddy, Tax Williams. Hello, hello. Greetings from palatial Westgate on Sea. Mm, you've had a hell of a week. We were just chatting, so I haven't really spoken for a couple of days, so I've been insanely fucking busy with work. Oh, um, man. It's yeah, been a, you're, you're, yeah, go on. It's been a crazy couple of weeks, whether it be my three and a half year old child deciding to now start having the most monstrous meltdowns mm. or uh again you know we, we've had bad run of luck with our various you know parental <laughs> hospital parents visits. and kids who'd so, have them you know oh exactly uh, but and also the temperature you know it's so hot it's scary which is convenient the tagline of today's summer slam event we're covering <laughs> so today we're doing episode number two of our brett versus owen trilogy Episode one was an absolute riot. And uh, general opinions on episode two, how did you feel going into WWF Summerfest? I mean, SummerSlam 1994. I have a very fond place in my heart for SummerSlam 94 based on... Summerfest, the... tags. Summerfest, apologies, <laughs> with Jeff Harley. Um, <laughs> because in what may, in what world could you sit there and go, I'm going to have chains from the DOA main event, one of the big four. <laughs> Yeah, a world where I love professional wrestling because fucking hell, it's bad, isn't it? This was this was brilliant, and all of this this time is real vivid memory of me when I was a young wrestling fan, unjaded by nonces and mm. wankers when wrestling <laughs> was good, and the fact that we're now this is just the next of the big shows. I think you know we've skipped King of the Ring because who likes a tournament? Said Vince McMahon. But the fact that we've still got the same main storylines progressing, going back to Rumble 94, all the way through to Mania 10, all the way through to SummerSlam, there are some bits on this card, like what we said about Mania last week, where it's great to have that continuity. And then on this card, because it's 1994 WWF, there is some absolute shit. Hello, Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> So it's the 29th of August, 1994. I watched it on the network. I'm assuming you did as well. I did watch it on the network, but I recall when I was younger, I watched this on, I believe, Sky One or Sky oh. Movies when it was free. Look at you having Sky in 1994. You were upper class, weren't you? <laughs> um, well, let's let's ignore the fact that my father secretly remortgaged the house three times without anyone knowing. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell, mate. I remember... Uh, How do you think I bought this I... house now? <laughs> <laughs> the first time ever seeing Sky was in a hotel with my dad. I think we were on some business trip and he like had to take me with him because it was like summer holidays or something. And I remember being in this hotel room and like I have this vivid memory of being like, oh, you can use water with this hot chocolate. I've never seen this before. <laughs> the one a treat, the hotel hot chocolate. Absolutely. Like... Um, you know, as a young kid or whatever, we'd always had milk and cocoa or whatever, you know. My family were right. We weren't, like, really poor, but we weren't wealthy by any means. Uh, so, I mean, we paid for milk, so that's all right, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> See, you, you, say, you say where I was. This is around the same time that the TV licensed people would come and bang on the doors and my dad would rush into mine and my brother's bed uh. and said, quick, hide under the bed. <laughs> to avoid them knowing that we're in. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing oh so good but i remember turning on sky on the tv for the first time being like what's this there are other channels there are more than four 
Because yeah, this would have this would have been pre Channel Five as well, wouldn't it? Absolutely, mate. So, uh, we're at the United Center in Chicago, Illinois, home of the Boo Blackhawks. Uh, the capacity is 23,000 people. Um, I literally have a note here that just says sold out question mark. And uh, as we go through the show, I don't think it was sold out. There's definitely a few empty seats here and there. But there is a part of me that's like, was it just heart family members that couldn't be bothered to turn up? <laughs> I mean, I think... At no point, I don't recall on the commentary them saying sold out, but a lot of it, because this, this venue, this this centre was seven days old, the United Centre. Oh, so wow. It, it, it just literally it just opened seven days. Recently. Yeah, so it had been open seven days prior mm. to this. Yeah, so you can imagine, as you said, you know, the Hart family having to travel to Chicago to a building that hadn't really been opened prior to the event. And, yeah. you know, based on some of the, the promos we got from Stu and Helen Hart, he probably just gave, they just probably couldn't understand what he was saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to clarify, the uh, the United Center, as it's still called today, apparently, is home to the Chicago Bulls and the Blackhawks, and it is currently still open. There you go. Because don't worry about things. Oh, uh, before we get started on this, I will also continue with one final little rant about the current climate so Mm. last weekend Mm. again we haven't had time to speak i was out with my daughter having a lovely time and we decided after having a lovely trip to recalva country park we decided to go and get a few bits from b&m bargains because you know uh, sorry home bargains because you know i've got to pay a mortgage now so i can't (laughs) i can't just wait or reminiscing and it's like going to the zoo, stare at the poor people, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that. <laughs> because we went off, got a few bits there. Um, Harriet was elated because she got a poopsie egg, <laughs> which is like these oh, unicorn awesome. turd eggs. So she was elated. <laughs> um, and I'm standing in the queue and some fuckwit piece of shit stood behind me without a mask on. And started basically saying to his mate, I ain't wearing a mask because if the people who work in shops don't have to wear them, I ain't fucking wearing them. And then because I was a yeah, little bit tired, I might Great have logic. just shaken my head quite visibly. And then he started <laughs> hurling abuse at me, including the words, I don't know what you're shaking your head about. Your kid ain't wearing a fucking mask and she's got a lot longer to live. And I thought, oh, I'm going to have to turn around and beat <sighs> the shit out of someone in front of my three-year-old child in, in home bargains for being a piece of shit. <laughs> Fucking hell, scum of the earth, mate. What's well, the, I just keep doing fucking business, you know what I mean? Like, fuck off, leave me alone. That's right. I turned around to him and I'm paraphrasing similar to what I put on Twitter, but I turned to him and I said, well, evidently being an unintelligent, overweight piece of shit, cl- obviously classes a medical <laughs> condition, so you don't have to wear one. <laughs> <laughs> wear tonight? a mask, you <laughs> fucking retards. Absolutely. So tonight we on commentary. Sorry, on commentary we have Jerry Lawler, who definitely wouldn't wear a mask. Piece of da, shit. Da, 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 da. It's Vincent Kennedy McMahon again. Oh, I love these shows that we have Vince on commentary. I'm a big fan. I, again, I really wanted to do the unbelievable tick chart and tally chart for the whole of this show, and I just I lost count after twelve. <laughs> so there was a dark match on this show, which I have. The second I saw it on Cage Match, I was absolutely gutted that this wasn't part of the show. It's Adam Bomb versus Gorn. Quang! (laughs) This had a story. This had a story going to it as well. It was a dark match. Quang has to be the campest, like, aggressive name ever, right? Oh, Quang. (laughs) 
I think basically around this was around the time that Ninja Turtle was really kicking off with Krang, but they couldn't mm-hmm. get anything, so they tried to put a brain in Savio Vega's belly and have him walk around <laughs> the Technodrome. You know, that's what <laughs> WWE are running SmackDown out of now, isn't it? The Technodrome? <laughs> Thunderdome, but yeah, sure, same thing. That was the whole purpose of the joke. That was my Silverdome moment for Hogan. Oh, oh nice. So I got a bit lost there. I'm a little sleepy, but I'm trying to keep going. I've got some coffee. But uh, this is the thing. On, what's we, the story? We, so... Considering what we'll get to later on the card that doesn't actually have a build, Quang and Adam Bomb were both managed by Harvey Whipperman at this time. <laughs> and uh, King of the R- uh, leading up to King of the Ring, they had a qualifying match. Sorry, no, they did. Adam Bomb had a qualifying match, um, and the one two three kid was televised for it, and it was on WWE Superstars. Bookers um, around the world, pay attention. This is how you book a feud, by the way. <laughs> um, so basically, the angle had like um, Waltman win over Quang. Uh, by following interference from Adam Bomb, so Bomb cost him the match. <laughs> Whippleman and Bomb sure. had Quang work as tag teams, but again, <laughs> odd bedfellows. They didn't get on too well. And um, every time you say Quang, I laugh. I can't <laughs> help it. <laughs> well, they had um, th- this un- unfamiliar bedfellows. They split after mm. an argument that cost them a match when they were team going against Waltman and Bob Sparky Plug. <laughs> nice, nice. And then they, they basically were working house shows against each other with this storyline and had the dark match at SummerSlam. See, the thing is that as much as they're kind of iffy workers or whatever, like I quite like Adam Bomb and I've always quite liked Savio Vega, but they're not like my favourites. Um, yeah, it's, it's uh, still got a story. It's still got a purpose and context and something for the guys to work from. 1984 was quite fun. Two heels working against each other. No wonder why it was on the dark match, thinking about it. <laughs> That's a fair point. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I thought Quang would have been faced with a name like Quang. Well, <laughs> this is pre Bariquas, isn't it? Sure. No race war quite yet. <laughs> just with so, a nuclear just a nuclear infected man. <laughs> <laughs> we get this flaming fire SummerSlam logo. Looks really cool. Especially for nineteen ninety four. Uh, as soon as we cut into the arena, I'm like, oh, wow, this is big. Like 23,000 people. It's in darkness with a few spotlights going around. Looks really, really cool. Uh, what are your immediate thoughts as soon as you cut into this? Nostalgia. Warm, fuzzy yeah. feeling. Knowing for well I'd be seeing a lot of chinos and polo shirts in the front row. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, curtains and, you know, trucker caps. and yeah. It's 90s. basically what I tend to see at accountancy conferences, but now in modern day. <laughs> Really? When it's like dre- dress, dressed down, you can wear casual things. It's always chinos and a polo top. And it's like, Ooh. this is 90s WWF crowd coming to these. And to be <laughs> fair, most of them probably were 90s WWE fans. Bunch of See, virgins what? in their basements. I mean, it is the 90s, so yeah. I'm sure. Are oh, you talking about the accountants still? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, bum, 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 bum. Land of Hope and Glory, Pomp and Circumstance kicks in, and out comes the Macho Man. I'm like, oh, good start. Very good start. Anything Macho, I'm just like, yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's golden tuxedo, shiny Macho Man with a microphone. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm in. <laughs> and matching hat. Oh, absolutely. Don't forget the matching hat. So this is where Vince is trying to transition Macho into more of a commentary interviewer type role rather than the wrestling role that macho wants to be and it, it's decided as the main reason he went to wcw in the end and um you can kind of see why macho is very good in this role i can understand why vince thought it was time to transition but we saw macho work at wrestlemania 
And yeah, it wasn't the greatest match of all time, but it was Macho was the guy working, you know? Cr- Crush's best match. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, I, what do you think about this whole scenario with Vince trying to get Macho out of the ring and onto commentary instead? Seemed to be a very, very stupid approach to things, to be completely honest. I wonder if he felt... Uh, tax, mate. You just pull the mic just an inch away from your face. Oh, apologies. It's okay. I'm getting a lot of sounds. It's fine. Don't worry. I'm a stickler for quality. You know me. It's only because I'm probably just blowing for no reason whatsoever <laughs> through rage. Hot air. <laughs> hot air due to the dark match. But no, the Savage sure. thing, I think, was mainly um, Vince wanted... This was the time where they didn't really have that many people in the inner circle. It was basically Vince. It was Pat. Um, Bruce Pritchard as well, knocking around. I wonder if he really wanted to have one of the boys as a liaison. So he saw Macho based on his creativity as the perfect transition to be a bit of a go-between mm. and start pushing some of his creative messages. But in turn, you should have still had him wrestling and putting over the younger talent. As we said, he gave Crush the best match of his life. Can you imagine having Savage helping Owen Hart get over or things like yeah, that? And Owen Hart and Savage sure. Feud. We've already spoken about one of the UK shows we did in our archive at worldofwrestlingpodcast.com, the UK Rampage, where we had Savage against HBK a couple of years prior to that. Having someone of Savage, Savage's caliber to be able to take those new upcoming stars of tomorrow would have been fantastic to have, but it just wasn't what they did at the time. It was, it was the new gen, and I think very yeah. much Savage was considered old of it. But you understand why he went to WCW, guaranteed money and the ability to work top level and decent TV. And no house shows. Exactly. It's, it's a massive change. You know, I can see why talent are kind of essentially flocking over to AEW and stuff when they have the opportunity to if WF don't WWE don't throw the big money at them you know working that very very light schedule being able to work in Japan and all the indies if you choose to you know if it's still quite good money it's it's very tempting and that's why guys went to TNA it's why guys went to WCW you can understand it you know how show is a dead is a dead medium now I think oh, yeah absolutely especially with the whole COVID stuff you know Anyway, so Macho putting over the new generation of the WWF on his way to the ring. Like, literally, the moment he walks out from the back, he's got a microphone. He's talking to the people at home. Uh, Macho bumps into Laura and Vince at ringside, who end up putting the card over. Uh, I think now is the time to go over the story coming in here, specifically with Brett and Owen. Do you want to go over this? Or, I mean, I've got the, the flash, the, um, the video package before the match. Maybe we can go over some of the other storylines aside from Brett and Owen. How about okay, that? Okay, so... We're looking at uh, it's about a seven match card. I haven't got it noted down. I'm sure we'll go through it, but a lot about of it, that. a lot of it seems to be around what Ted DiBiase is doing. Yeah, there's lots of Ted DiBiase in this. He is a key yeah, role. Yeah, eight matches indeed. So we'll go through Brett and Owen as it's part of you know the trilogy. But the main event we're looking at on the card on the billboards is Undertaker versus Undertaker. Mm. It's a disgrace that this was the main event over Brett and Owen, but go on. Do you want to do some of the story? So Paul Bearer's Undertaker lost to Yoko at 1994 Royal Rumble. I think we mentioned this on previous podcasts, how much I remember watching the spirit of the Undertaker rise to the skies. In mm. what Now when you look at it back, is very, very cheesy. But at the time, I was like, wow, this is incredible. So basically, Taker was having time off to recover, but he was you know, essentially killed off by... Yoko in a double wide coffin that'll come into play later <laughs> yeah. um 
so basically, the WWE, sorry, WWF at the time, were foreshadowing Undertaker's return by airing lots of videos claiming that they'd seen The Undertaker. And everyone was like, oh, great, Taker's coming back. Until Million Dollar Man introduced The Undertaker and said he was coming back with him. Obviously, Taker, I think you'll you know, find. Obviously, back in 1990, when Taker debuted, he was part of Million Dollar Man's... Um, Million dollar team. Ah, oh, you know, I forgot that. That's that survived since 1990, yeah. so that's the link to where he's bringing it all back. Ah, I didn't put two and two together. And he was claiming that he'd bought The Undertaker. Not not mm. brought him back, he'd bought The Undertaker back to the WWF. This then led to Paul Bearer saying that Million Dollar Man's Undertaker was an imposter. Oh, yes. And that hmm. Paul Bearer had located the true Undertaker. So this basically led to Paul Bearer, Ted DiBiase, running this feud, other than a couple of like WWF superstar matches for Imposter Taker, where instead of being lured by the urn, he was lured by Million Dollar Man's money. <laughs> so he turned to face it like Undertaker would look at the, the urn. And um, that led us to the to our main event. There are a few other interesting stories going on. So we've already covered... Um, Quang and Adam Bomb story. But back to Million Dollar Man. The he important was start- content, obviously. <laughs> of course. Million Dollar Man was starting to build his Million Dollar Corporation. He'd already acquired, he'd bought the rights in storyline to Bam Bam and Luna's um, contracts. IRS had joined him as well as part of Money Inc. Um, they were feuding, um, they were going to be wrestling the head shrinkers later this evening. But more importantly, in what was described by Dave Meltzer as one of the most uh, influential and the biggest storylines heading into the 1994 SummerSlam is who is really joined the corporation? Is it Tatunka or Lex Luger? <laughs> so basically, uh, Lex called him later in the night. Tatunka. <laughs> so all that money riding in, but basically, um, oh, fuck. on the 11th of July. So considering that's essentially one year and one week dated from the slam heard around the world on the US, <laughs> where uh, where Luger slammed Yoko, how the mighty have fallen. Um, one year, one year from the USS Intrepid being the top guy to replace Hogan to mid-card bollocks against the tanker. How dare you melt to describe this as a major story <laughs> heading into SummerSlam 94. Um, basically... Um, Million Dollar Man had announced that Lex Luger had agreed to join the corporation, and this led to Tatanka confronting Luger, saying that he'd sold out. Luger denied this, but it, you know, and and that's what we led to. This led to the match um, at SummerSlam, and I almost gave the finish away through excitement of storytelling. <laughs> I felt it coming. <laughs> so it doesn't really matter <laughs> anyway. And and and, so, and, and you know the other two, you know, main storylines we've got Alondra Blaze taking on Bull Nakano because Luna Vachon oh, can't beat oh, her. Oh. So when, she brings when Bull Nakano walks out the fucking doors later, I was like, holy shit, I didn't know this was on this show. But we'll get to that later. And even though you were surprised by that being on the card, I'm sure you were even more surprised to see Jeff Jarrett versus Mabel in what was being billed <laughs> one week prior as rap versus country. I deliberately didn't look down this card because I wanted to be surprised as it came through. And there's certain expectations I had from watching WrestleMania 10. And knowing this is, what, four months later, something like that, five months? Anyway, to... to expecting what the storylines were going to be and what the matches were going to be i was certainly surprised by a lot of this uh, the first thing i want to get over is that 
Ted DiBiase has gone from WrestleMania 10 sitting in the crowd with a fucking Bill Clinton impersonator having one or two lines and no storylines and nothing to do to being the focus of the whole of SummerSlam, essentially. He was the main heel of this entire show. And that's and it's great. He did such a fucking good job. This is like the Mr. McMahon character, but just done like five years in advance. If you were IRS, you'd be like, why the fuck do I have to work? <laughs> because he gets the most amount of heat of any human ever the second he tags in the ring. It's so impressive. Boom. <laughs> so there are, as we said, there's quite a, a few empty seats opposite the hard cam. Kind of weirdly, it's the first couple of rows that seem to have quite a lot of empty seats. I wondered whether this just people not turning up until later, but they do fill out a bit, but there's definitely some still empty seats opposite the hard cam. I would definitely say this is not a sellout. But as we said earlier in the pod, yeah. I didn't hear them say it was a sold out crowd. I believe Vince McMahon always with his cap- a capacity crowd here at the United Center. Yeah, yeah, sure. They have um, another slidey door, but it's a different slidey door in the entranceway this time. The door goes up and down rather than two doors going side to side. You know how it looks a bit like kind of a plane of frosted glass almost? Yeah. I, I was just desperate for someone to bugs bunny it <laughs> just to run into it on the way back you know it doesn't happen i was like oh no it would have been so good but uh, vince really really loves a slidey door in 1994 i was disappointed when it was replaced by the hardies as jesters at, like king of the ring 95 when they had the sure. physical opening of the door so <laughs> everybody's got a price i can't do his laugh so i'm just gonna move on our opening match is a six-man tag team match of the head shrinkers fatu and samu with afa and hmm captain lewis albano they say he will always be captain lou from rock and wrestling from the cartoon yeah oh sorry it's not a six-man tag it's just a normal tag my bad uh, but yes, you are right. <laughs> Versus the million dollar team or the beginnings of the million dollar corporation, I guess this is, of Bam Bam Bigelow and Erwin R. Scheistel with Ted DiBiase. Let's just reiterate that. You've got Ted DiBiase is like the evil managerial can jump in the ring when he needs to character. Erwin R. Scheister, one of my favorite workers of all time and definitively one of the most underrated people of all time across the grand scheme of things. And bam, bam, fucking Bigelow. Talk about underrated big guys. Against the Head Shrinkers, who are one of my favourite gimmicks ever, because it's so racist. and <laughs> So 1994. <laughs> it's genuinely fucking brilliant. Like, this match. When I saw these guys come out, I was like, oh, yeah, this is how shows should start. I was very happy. You wouldn't get Affa with a bone for his nose these days, would you? <laughs> And like, you know, the other guy who looks a bit like he could be from an American island, Lou Albano, happens to be their man- their second manager because they've all got to be together, Dax. <laughs> I really enjoy the fact that back in the day, it was a case of, hmm, one manager's not enough. Two managers is what we need. Because yeah. again, being racist WWE like they had with Cornette and Fuji. Yeah, we yeah, need to absolutely. have the English representative. It's like Vince obviously got sick of managers, but he, in 1994, he was like, we're kind of enough managers. <laughs> Give every heel two. It'll be great. Did he get sick of managers because he was having to have a locker room which had Harvey Whippleman, <laughs> Affa, Captain Lou Albano in it, and Cornette? So this head shrinker's entrance gear, holy shit. I mean, it really, really is nice that they have some like teenage art projects <laughs> on their heads. 
<laughs> if you like, you know, went to some NRA convention, you're like, what would Samoan people wear on their heads? <laughs> this is what they would draw. You know, <laughs> it really is. So uh, Bam Bam and Rikishi, the start. God damn, so these two can take a bump. Yeah, absolutely, man. I did going. it for Luabano. <laughs> but, mate, in 1994, Bam Bam and Rikishi taking bumps in the ring for each other. Whew. I really, so I mean, I, so I've good. always enjoyed the work of the head shrinkers. Yeah. I think it was a real shame that um, I, his name escapes me, but the one who joined in at the same time as Cody and Ted Jr., who was Affa's son, who joined in. Yeah. I can't remember what his, his name? name was. Yeah, I can picture him. Manu? I know there you go. That's it. And I, I knew they cost Punk the belt. <laughs> so uh, did, yeah. It would, it would have been interesting to see how he would have developed, but it would have just, to be fair, it would have just been the same Vince McMahon stuff. Hmm, you're Samoan. Well, I know mm. what I'm going to do with you. Face paint, face paint, face paint. Yeah, exactly. They even did it with Joe and TNA, you know what I mean? It's like, fucking, can these guys just not be people? <laughs> like, anyway, so, um, like, there's a moment where Quiche, uh Irish whips Bam Bam across the ring, and Bam Bam jumps from about the middle of the ring into the corner to take the bump. It's like, fucking hell, man. Like, you don't need to do this, but it looks so good. I was more excited by when you did that and I, I misheard you and I thought you referred to someone as Irish quiche. Oh. <laughs> who, who the hell's uh, Irish, Irish quiche? quiche? I'd love like an someone from like OTT to now start doing a rikishi gimmick and just call themselves Irish quiche. <laughs> I'm in. Sounds great. So uh, the finish comes when the head shrinkers do their sloppy kind of reverse Russian leg sweep thing that doesn't... It must be so difficult to bump because you can't put your hands down. You can't belly bump. It's kind of like a bit weird. You hope their shoulders protect you. <laughs> yeah, your head from the mat. IRS is like, I'm not trusting these guys. <laughs> and kind of like waits for them to fall and then kind of slowly lowers himself a little bit. Like sensible lad. Uh, Rikishi does the big splash. Okay, off the top. Now, I- I've thought about this a few times and I've never talked about it. I don't think we've ever talked about it in the pod. So the head shrinkers are a really good tag team. But you know their finish when Kish goes up to the top and fa- uh, Samu, sorry, stands in the corner and Keish just jumps over it. Yeah? Yep. What, what, why is Samu contributing here? He's making sure the big Keish gets enough air to be able to land oh. on such velocity. It's like motivation. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Jump over <laughs> me and make sure you land on him from high above. Don't kick me in the back of the head. But the number of times you saw them over the years where Keish just clocked the back of his head jumping over him. Oh, really? I've yeah. never seen that. Oh, shit. I've only seen so much from around this time period, you know. I came in at like ni- in the 97. And uh, obviously, it was like 90, 91, 92. I kind of had VHSs and paid attention. You know, Hogan, Macho, Flair, all that sort of shit. Um, Bulldog Brett, throw out there. Um, but then, yeah, this this middle new gen stuff, I completely missed the first time. So, yeah. Uh, and what I thought most of this, again, thinking back to some good old roster members of SCPW, I thought to myself... When did Meathead become a descendant of the Head Shrinkers and is impervious to pain when anyone headbutts him? True. Seems He's strange. Got Samoan roots, right? <laughs> oh yeah, definitely from the maggot pit in a uh, Western Samoa. <laughs> <laughs> so Keish doing the big splash cues the schmoz- schmozzy bullshit, and uh, everyone on the outside gets involved. Finish because there's lots of people on the outside here. Uh, ref calls for the bell, and everyone kind of does their thing, like brawling and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, the winners are hmm, not quite sure. Because DBRC abandons his team as they all brawl to the back. Uh, and then at, uh, over the announcement, they go uh, over the speakers, whatever. 
They announced that via disqualification, your winners are Bam Bam and IRS. And um, yeah, it's a great heater match. It's setting up stuff. It's not a finale. It's not a payoff. It's let's do a shitty finish and see where this goes. It feels like. And the right team won for what future storylines were going to be with the Million Dollar Corporation. Sure. Great opener. Can't complain. Loved it. Top talent. Really good fun to watch. And as you said, it's been a long time since I've seen a head shrinkers match. And then having the delights of IRS and Bam Bam there. Very, very good start. Very promising start to the show. Absolutely. I didn't know Bam Bam and IRS like were a thing or like a tag team or whatever. And God, I would love them to have kept this going. I think that's the biggest problem with Bam Bam is that he never stuck to one thing and just kept it going, you know? But he's main evented at WrestleMania and CM Punk hasn't. He has. Absolutely. So we cut backstage to Leslie Nielsen. Segment number one, as I'm putting it here. <laughs> he's oh, hot on the trail of The Undertaker. Um, so he's walking around backstage. This is Leslie Nielsen from The Naked Gun, in case you didn't know. Um, I wonder how many people are like young enough listening to this that don't know what Naked Gun is. One of the few films I've watched. I assume you would. You grew up in the same time period I grew up. It was constantly on. <laughs> it, it, this, this and Beverly Hills Cop seem to be the okay. only things on TV. How about uh, Coming to America? Nope. Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. So, um, so uh, Les Nielsen's walk around backstage. He sees what he thinks is The Undertaker, who then turns around and it's George Kennedy from the Naked Gun films. <laughs> These two together are genuinely hilarious. But... These segments are, are nothing. They're very brief. And have aged terribly. Yeah. It it did feel like we just need some celebrity involvement. Who's on the set? <laughs> you know, who's in Chicago? Yeah, because Walter Payton wasn't big enough name. Yeah, I didn't even know who that was, to be fair. So is he a football player? He is an NFL person. Sure. Just like so, I know about Pat McAfee. <laughs> <laughs> he can kick a ball. He must be good at wrestling. He can kick Adam Cole's head on an announce table. <laughs> Fucking hell. Cue some casual racist music. It's time for our three-minute lady squash match. But then, but then, out comes Bull fucking Nakano. If you don't know who Bull Nakano was, hit pause in the pod, hop on YouTube, just put in Bull Nakano and Stiff, for example. And we're not talking about her hair product. <laughs> <laughs> no, because she has this giant kind of spiked center mohawk thing on her head. It's fucking awesome. So straight out of Japan, one of the big female names of professional wrestling, Joshi. She's just a big, stiff bastard. And I fucking love her. This was a treat. With yeah. her and Medusa. I should probably say what the match is. Yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> it's a WF World Women's Championship match. If your current champion and eternal champion in the WF of Alondra Blaze versus Bull Nakano with Luna Vachon. This was bo- booked based on quite a few of the agreements, wasn't it? Because this is where um, a lot of the Japanese ladies were coming over to WWE based on Alondra Blaze's uh, links. And she was supposed to be going to go over to Japan to do matches as well and defend the WWF Women's title, I think around this time um but then the the whole idea of this match was it was supposed to set up long-term feuds for her and bornicano right okay let's just say bornicano didn't come back (laughs) oh interesting okay let's get through the match and we'll talk about why and what and stuff 
So right before the match starts, there's these two lovely little flower girls that come out in WF t-shirts and they hand each of these ladies a bunch of flowers, which is a tradition in Japan and stuff. So it's what it is. Um, usually it's post-match, but whatever. Let's just get on with it. <laughs> um, and Lawler on commentary just goes, dump them. And Luna complies by lobbing the bouquet at Blaze in the corner as she has her back to Bull Meccano. Uh Luna is just the best. She's so funny. And on and on the million dollar man's payroll. So again, another link. Yep. Okay, interesting. So Paul Nakano is a stiff cunt. <laughs> and I, I that's a quote. <laughs> Absolutely. She is what I'm put here as hilariously stiff. As in it's really funny watching it. Every time she like grabs a hair mare or throws a clothesline or whatever. She doesn't release when you think she's going to release. It's always like a second later, just so she can really lay it in like a bastard that she is. I was like Luna when she was in the Attitude Era, when she was feuding with Sable, and she just beat yeah. the shit out of Sable every night. Absolutely. <laughs> if I'm going to take a powerbomb from Sable, I'm going to beat her up first. You know, <laughs> That's what's going through her head, I guarantee it. Please don't take that quote out of context. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> So there's a brilliant moment when Blaze is ranaing herself out of herself. (laughs) Thank you. So Luna gets involved a bit behind the ref's back and screams at the camera, as she's known to do. We get a brief Vlad sighting in the crowd, still in his WF tuxedo, you know, with the big F red on his shirt. shirt. Like, so funny. He's wearing the same shit he was wearing at WrestleMania. Uh, Why change? The merch is expensive. Okay, so... The, the opening of the match is Bornicano being a stiff cunt to Alondra Blaze, but it's around halfway through that the crowd start to really eat this match up, and these two start doing the heel-face dynamic big time, and I absolutely adored this. I wish this could have gone on longer. Yeah, absolutely. It, it went six minutes, I think, in the end, maybe a bit longer. I, I didn't, didn't write it down. No, I didn't. I didn't get the timings for this, but it, because again, the nice thing about some of these '94 shows, which we're covering as part of this trilogy, is I just get to sit down and watch matches, and you can tell how much my engagement is if I look back at my notes and go, oh, I'm, "Like I said to you in that message I sent the other day, I, I, I may have to go back and re-watch some bits <laughs> where my notes yeah. are a bit woolly." This was great. I, I didn't take any notes the first time watching it because I enjoyed it so much because it had Paul Nakano in it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Like Alondra Blaze as well. Let's give her a credit. She is amazing here. She's an uber face. The crowd adore her. She's this lovable, powerful female character, which is incredibly unusual for this time scene, this time in WWF in this scene, you know? Can um, you so imagine if Sunny could have worked like Medusa? Oh, yeah, absolutely. She would, have been, she would have main evented WrestleMania long before Becky, Charlotte, mm-hmm. and, and, and Ronda did. Yeah, just wasn't to be at that time, you know. So, big pop for Blaze's comeback. The crowd are massively into it. Alondra Blaze doing the Matrix thing out of a pinfall five years before the Matrix movie was made. Fucking hell, she's awesome. Nakano's facial expressions as she climbs that top rope and the crowd are like, boo, and she stops and kind of grimaces and looks around, selling it. You're like, this is a Japanese woman who's not used to this sort of crowd and she's working it better than most of the dudes on the show. The note I put down for Bull Nakano is well ahead of her time. Oh, massively. Massively. She's so athletic at this point. And like nowadays, she's well beyond it. And she put on a lot of weight after these these, these kind of few years of her real prime. 
94 ball Nakano. Fucking hell. So ball misses a top rope leg drop clean on the center of the ring. Ow. Huge bridging German suplex by Alandra Blaze. Absolute perfection. One, two, three. What a fucking awesome match. Great six You're- minutes. Yeah, your winner and forever WWF Women's Champion, Alondra Blaze. Uh, quickly, I've just put innovative, stiff, great story, perfect. Is this the match of the night? That's a banging shout. Mm. For something it's that was six the minutes. Tonight, because Brett and Owen are on the card, but <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> Considering what else is on this card and how much storyline hype is into this. Again, I know this had a story going into it, mm-hmm. but as you alluded to earlier, they just couldn't really book women's storylines, which is why no, they these didn't give a shit. Japan. They blatantly didn't give a shit. They gave them three minutes on WrestleMania, you know? We, we ain't spent having the match cut due to time constraints. Well, we can't agree on who's a captain. Ah, oh, we won't have the match. <laughs> Poor Jeff Jarrett. It doesn't deserve this treatment. <laughs> but technically, as I said in my t- post on Facebook, you know, Jeff Jarrett was on the card. What's your Facebook tax? Uh, at the Tex Williams. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think you can find yourself on Twitter as well, right? Yeah, but it's mainly just me shouting about mask <laughs> avoiding wankers. <laughs> so Todd, Todd Pettengill, yay, is backstage with the new WWF Tag Team Champions. They only just won them from the Head Shrinkers. Big Daddy Cool Diesel and the Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels. There is a lot of leather in this promo. Both in straps and on attire. Yeah, you're fucking like <laughs> there's leather and gold all over the place. It's really fun to see. It's like uh, a, a fetish dream. <laughs> so they are the tag champs. Diesel is the intercontinental champ. I mean, he just won it from Razor. Have yep. you got this down? Where did he win S- it from? So um, I didn't get the dates that he won it, but basically Razor obviously won the belt off HBK at Mania 10 in the ladder match, which didn't yeah. get a vote in our poll to see which was the best match on the card. Brett or Owen or the ladder match. Brett and Owen, 100% victory when I last checked. Um, I didn't even realise you'd done a poll. I have been so fucking busy. Sorry, mate. Appreciate that. Let's have a quick check. Uh, it was... Oh, Just trying to see if I can find the notes of when it was. It's not important. And when I just clicked on the link... Um, it took me to parts unknown, and that page doesn't exist anymore. So, yep, he right. lost it to Diesel. <laughs> there we go. So this is Diesel versus the bad guy, man. <laughs> Razor Ramon tonight. The click in full effect, taking over this this just below Brett moment. You know, um, there's only one comment I've got about Sean here. Like, why is he doing a Jackie Mason impression? <laughs> Well, that's that's lost on me because I have no idea who Jackie Mason is. Jackie Mason is one of those classic New York Jewish comedians. You'd be like, oh, I went down to the park, eh? And then I did this, eh? It was great. It was so funny, you know? Sean is jigging about and doing this silly kind of New Yorker accent. It's really odd. I don't know. I, I, I think he's just wasted, if I'm honest. It's almost like he didn't care at this time. Because <laughs> he's not wrestling on this show. He's just being Diesel's manager guy. So he's probably coked up to the fucking eyeballs. <laughs> Everyone likes a free payday. Yeah, sure. Yay! The Fink is here to announce the next match. The WWF Intercontinental Championship match. 
Uh, God, I love Fink. He's just the best. No one will ever compare. How's his hair held up since Mania? That's what (laughs) everyone really wanted to know. That's why they listened to the pod. (laughs) Not very well, apparently, by the looks of it. Harvey Whippleman had his way with clippers. (laughs) WWF Intercontinental title match of Diesel with Shawn Michaels. uh, Diesel's the current champion. Versus Razor Ramon with Walter Payton who's a football guy. Yay. Sports. Who I believe to quote Ed Ferrara was an offensive lineman for Tijuana State <laughs> when he used Fucking to mock hell. JR on WCW Why are we commentary? putting over a cunt like Ed Ferrara all the time? <laughs> Can we quote <laughs> Ed? There must be so, another football quote somewhere. I was putting over Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> so again, uh, camera backstage catching Diesel and Sean walking to Gorilla. But you know, WCW did it first in 96, right? Yeah, Bischoff invented having cameras backstage. Look, let's be sensible. Everyone bullshits because Progress were the first wrestling companies to run wrestling in London. Yeah, no one's ever wrestled in London, the capital of the... (laughs) Fuck you. I'm really glad they put all of their shitty content, one one show of shitty content Mm. on the network. And considering their speaking out campaign, the fact they allowed Believer to be on that stuff is so surprising to me because Believer's a cunt. So, uh, Diesel's entrance horn is a bit shit, isn't it? Hmm. <laughs> it's pre-music Diesel. It's just like, uh, every couple of seconds. I don't get it. I never have. Gets him over. But then, Imagine if like Batista had something like that and then just came out with the guns and the pyro. <laughs> <laughs> but then raises entrance music to it. And I'm like, this is some gang shit. This is awesome. The ding and he's like oh it's so cool and then I realize, enters. <laughs> I realize as I'm hearing uh, Ray's entrance theme it's quite Wolfpack interesting thought yeah I've not considered similar. it there I think they heard this this theme tune it's like this is the coolest thing ever like you know you go from it's pretty similar at least in terms of uh, hmm. tombre, is that a word? Yeah. Jim Johnston was taking backhanders from, from the click. Yeah, fucking Cheers, a. Jim. Could you write me something that is that, but not that, <laughs> but sounds like that, but isn't that? HBK chat shit to Walter Payton before the match, you know, football guy. Chat shit, get banged, yeah? Always. This is how wrestling works. So the match kicks off. Razor chucks the toothpick, and I've never seen Nash sell this much in my fucking life. <laughs> He, oh, he's, this is his best mate he's gonna get him over you know to a toothpick I mean to fa- no in fairness let's not bullshit this if it's small inanimate objects like a toothpick or a finger Nash sells it like he's been fucking shot <laughs> HBK acting as coach for Diesel giving him motivational talks Razor fires up like that's actually some really good logic here there's a bit where like you know Diesel gets fired up because he's having to sell for Razor pretty much and Sean's like, you know, calm down, like focus. And then when Diesel gets back in the ring, he's slower and more focused and takes the advice. And it works for him. It's like it's really clever psychology instantly as this match kicks off. Considering Michael's state, um, as mentioned, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the pre-tape, it's amazing that he can still hold it together. Yeah, he's uh, looking a bit bloodshot eyes, you know. But at least HBK's never made a man disappear mm, like his tag yeah. team partner allegedly uh-huh. did. Oh, no, no. It's just something you said, you know? <laughs> yeah, you did say it. You fucking killed someone, you prick. 
Jesus. But, but don't worry, I'm going to try and avoid that conversation by having horrible, hideous, racist undertones about my ex-girlfriend <laughs> in the same message. Let's just say allegedly a bunch of times. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. There we go. We're safe now. I had to so tell age- my mum that because she was a big Marta Gennetti <laughs> mark back in the oh, day. Oh, no, you didn't tell her, did you? Had to. You know, she's had a bad no, week. So I thought, tax. this is a good... Let kayfabe live. Sim- similar, <laughs> similar to the whole concept where people, like the UK politicians said about 9-11, it was a great day to hide bad news. I thought, well, my mum's news. I thought, well, now that's a, now's the best day and never to break anything. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> So Razor fires up, hits the backdrop. Vince goes, unbelievable. Like, yay. <laughs> Everyone drinks. Everyone shouted bingo. HBK heavily involved, whips off the turnbuckle, interfering with all sorts of stuff. Really, really fun. Constant heat. The crowd are completely into this. It's fire throughout the whole match. Razor splits Diesel's big daddy around the ring post. <laughs> Ref. Can he do that, Joey? Gets a bit sloppy as they build towards the finish. It's, it's like watching one of those lucha matches where they kind of forget the, the sequence of spots and they have to call it a little bit. And they do this weird thing where Razor puts... Oh, sorry, Diesel puts Razor on the top turn... No, it's the other way around. Razor picks up Diesel, puts him on the top turnbuckle, and then Diesel just kind of gets off and then they just start punching each other and you're like, oh, don't think that's how that was meant to go. The man just said, um, is Johnson twanged? He's going <laughs> to not be thinking, right? Fair point, fair point. So, cue the ridiculous overbooked finish. It's bloody great, though. Tug of war with the intercontinental strap between Sean and Peyton. Sean accidentally gives Diesel switch-in music. Razor finally manages to cover Diesel as Peyton takes out Sean. You know, Chasha get banged. Uh, Sean is a second late to break up the pinfall. The one, two, three, and new Intercontinental Champions, Razor Ramon. Response, uh, Sean is very responsible because he's the one that delivered that final blow to Big Daddy, you know. And it's uh, it's just really fucking great storytelling. These click boys, they, they, they knew how to work with each other, didn't they? Shame they didn't work with anyone else. Yeah, fucking A, that's the point I'm making. <laughs> but this is great. Post-match, Diesel is hot at Sean as they head to the back. It's subtle, but they're getting the story over. The match was fucking awesome. Who the hell is this other lad in the ring suddenly celebrating with the boys? Any idea? Generic NFL is what I wrote. I assume generic yeah, NFL. Actually. I think it's like um, Peyton's son or something jumps in the ring after to celebrate with them, but I don't know. Once again, uh, highlighting WWF security was shit. Well, yeah, they've got two dudes on the door for, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Name's not down, you're not people. coming in. <laughs> <laughs> oh god for being a touring musician for a few years I've met a few of those cunts fucking hell anyway um, what do you think of the match mate not as good as it could have been but okay. the story the storytelling was better than the in ring the finish saved it for me as you said the the fact they had the lucha spot as we'll call it in the middle where everyone forgot what they were doing just had a bit of musical chairs on the turnbuckle yeah took away from it a little bit but this is the build to bigger things this is what we're going for yeah i loved sean and the whole tug of war with the intercontinental strap and you know the the big bullshit overbooked sean does the super kick etc etc you can see you can imagine them backstage and sean's ego just taking over and telling them all what to do but it, it fucking works, man. It's really fun. It's a silly story, overbooked stuff with two guys that don't want to fucking do 
top rope drop kicks and stuff, you know? It's, it's, I really enjoyed it. Good foreshadowing to the turn. <clears throat> is this when we're going to get yeah. Diesel turning face and the like the six second MSG title win over Backland? Uh huh. Yeah. Hmm. So <laughs> a wild, sparkly gold Macho Man appears. Uh, Macho getting over the heat between Nash and Sean, just doing this kind of in between segments. It's awkward, but he's good at it. He's he's playing the best. He's maximizing his minutes. Yeah, absolutely. So Todd Pettengill, yay, is backstage with. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. It's Luger and Tatanka feuding. Uh. I was going to say, as you mentioned, the crowd being really into this, I was about to say, well, of course they're into it. They're, they're a Chicago crowd. You know, it's a good market for wrestling until this. Mm-hmm. So they have this whole opinion poll thing. Where is Lex Luger a sellout? Basically, is what they're going for. And the gimmick is that Teddy Biossi has been interfering on behalf of Lex and subtle storytelling to be on Lex's side. And it's done well, to be fair. It's just a shame that Teddy Biossi has to act opposite Lex, you know? I think acting in Lex Luger is a very, very, very generous compliment. <laughs> In this but promo I... with Todd Pettengill with both the competitors for the next match, it's really weird. Why are they both being interviewed at the same time? Uh, Luger starts to talk and thank fuck Tank Tanker as Lex calls him immediately interrupts him. I met Tanker once, you know. I I remember you saying this, and I was about to say I think Will Power has had a as a meeting with Tatanka. Yeah, we did. I think we realised when we were doing the Super Quiz Cup that we both met him on the same tour for All Star. Like that's pretty cool. And all I can remember about Tatanka is in a sandwich shop in Ashford, which I'd somewhat sometimes go to to get lunch with. There was a signed Tatanka photograph behind the counter. Oh, it's like wow. one of those American laundrettes where they've got their celebrities behind it. <laughs> I think there was like um, Damien Green, Conservative MP, and Tatanka behind the sandwich counter. That's a hell of a combination. Both racist pricks. <laughs> really? Or who knows? Okay. Probably. <laughs> allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Uh, video package of Luger selling out to DiBiase, or is he? Tatanka's also here. Uh, the segment is over and Tatanka walks away. And I'm like, oh, thank God it's over. Then Lex starts to talk. I'm like, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I bet in retrospect, Lex wish he'd taken and joined the corporation and not murdered Elizabeth. Yeah, fucking <laughs> A. Yeah, absolutely. Allegedly. I've got a good joke here, but I can't say it after that. So let's <laughs> move on. Tatanka versus Lex Luger. Roll oh, up. One, joke? two, three. Let's is go. <laughs> I was going to say, it's the Tonka Luger, the joke. Crikey. If ever I've wanted a two-second pinfall, you know, roll up. Just let's go on with it, boys. Let's go home. It's this. but This match is six minutes long. And it goes about five minutes too long. This did not feel six minutes long. This felt like an eternity. Mm. Tatanka misses a nothing off the top. Lex misses a few clotheslines. Not that he meant to miss them, but that Tatanka still has to sell them. Because <laughs> you know? he can't fucking hit him. DBRC out with a bag of cash, distracting Luger. Tatanka rolls up Lex. Yes, it's happening. Just five minutes too late. Roll up. One, two, three. Let's go. <laughs> Your winner is Tatanka. But post-match, this is where the storytelling kicks in. And even with these two guys, right, not our favourites. Well, I think you love Lex, but for me, they're not my favourites at all. Um, I think we're meant to feel sympathy 
for Lex. <laughs> Did you catch the sympathy bit? <laughs> I missed it because I thought, fair play to Tonka, pay, pay your pension off. <laughs> so Lex, I think we're meant to feel sympathy for <laughs> Lex. Sorry, that's how Lex pronounced it once. Okay, I'll carry on. <laughs> when Tonka attacks Luger after the match. And Tatanka sides with DiBiase. It's a double turn thing. But honestly, I just laughed. <laughs> so... I was elated for Tatanka to align himself with main event talent finally. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to this match. When did Tatanka come in? Like 91? And then had his I think it was run a... in 92? Yeah, I think it was 92 because then it was Ludwig Borger who beat, his un... beat him for the undefeated run, wasn't it? And then they discovered Ludwig Borger was a racist and then we just gave up. <sighs> A lot has changed in a couple of years with Tatanka, isn't it? Well, now he's back in the main event picture. Million Dollar Corporation. <laughs> he's going to start building high-rise buildings in that Native American land. Sure. So, the initial beatdown is, you know, Tatanka doesn't like him, whatever. Has he sided with Ted DiBiase? Him and Ted DiBiase hug. They put it over. And then Ted's like, hmm, I think you should get back in the ring and beat the shit out of him again. And I'm like, yes, yes, do it. Go ahead. <laughs> So Tsunga jumps back in, beats him down even more, shoves a dollar bill in Lex's mouth. The match was shit. Post-match stuff was really fun, though. This this is going to be exactly what I think the members of Retribution are going to be in current WWE. They're going to be a couple <laughs> of people they're go, half they're the really... size of these two. No, how dare you? They grew from a week. Someone basically put oh. some water in their shoes and they like <laughs> doubled in size. <laughs> like those foam dinosaur things you have as a yeah, kid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So Barney is going to be the leader of <laughs> Retribution. Oh, hell. Can you imagine if it's some sort of like a superhero gimmick where someone's growing them backstage, <laughs> like sending them out to go and attack people? I, I, if this wasn't the, <laughs> the COVID era, as they seem to keep calling it, I, I, would, I would pop huge if it was actually decent wrestlers. But any top unsigned talent or new talent isn't going to come back to no fans. It's just 10 Brooklyn brawlers, mate. I hope so. With 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 you know, Abe Knuckleball Schwartz, the original MVP. Speaking my of sticker which, book. <laughs> well, yeah, there's the link. So we get a brief Gorilla Monsoon on the W Hotline thing backstage. It's yeah, it's a shame that he's being utilised like this, but it's what it is. Uh, Tax making his much anticipated return to the podcast. It's J E double F J A double R. E double T. Say it with me, everyone. Why, it's double J. <laughs> Good old slap nuts. Next up is Jeff Jarrett versus Mabel in his purple and gold tasseled bing bag moo moo. Everyone loves a onesie. Yeah, absolutely. So Oscar's here too. They seem to have lost Mo, Mo. on the way. Yeah, Mo, Mo, Mo's been lost in, um, you know, no. Um, carry on. <laughs> Careful now. <laughs> so, uh, I'm assuming they just left Mo in the hotel or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> double J is full heel mode. This is basically the double J that I got to know in 97, 98, but it's just missing Tennessee Lee. Like, he's one step away from being the greatest character. His ring gear. Can we talk about his ring gear? Yeah, just go that. ahead. What can I be described as a choker followed by tassels attached to his tights? <laughs> it's, it's interesting, isn't it? It's unique and he gets noticed, but... Mm. I've never seen anyone else wear anything like it. Hmm. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm trying to think now. Has anyone worn it? Like, 
it's kind of close to a Mabel or something, but it hasn't got the cutouts, the top bit. You know, it's just a shirt that Mabel's wearing. Jarrett is not a shirt. <laughs> it's it's weird. I think I've seen more female wrestlers wear closer to what Jarrett wears than male wrestlers. Yeah, you might bang on there. So, Oscar is the shittest rapper ever, as we've gone over before. Doing his 80s generic MC shit. His opening line is, Hey, yeah, here I am. Something, something, something. SummerSlam. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> Fire in the booth, mate. Today, people in catering would have a lot more time to write shit like this. <laughs> yeah, sure. They've got people to write it for them. Maybe they did at this time. It was so bad. I mean, you know, got to get that karaoke segment in there. <laughs> Words to your mothers, plural. <laughs> <laughs> the crowd, uh, the crowd eat it up, to be fair. Like, I may think it's shit, but they sing along, they're dancing, they're doing the hand stuff, you know, like Public Enemy or whatever back in the day. Gimmick infringement. Yeah, massively. Jarrett doing all the strutting in this match. Anything not to have to wrestle this massive piece of stiff shit that he's in the ring with. Uh, Jarrett is brilliantly cowardly. He's super heel, using sleepers to try and bring the big man down, but it fails over and over again. We get this brief interruption in the match, Tax. Would you like to explain what you saw? This would have been the... um the Abe Knuckleball Schwartz, who's been picketing in the crowd at recent shows, and he's got a sign that says, I'm on strike, which is a reference to the um, the MLB being on strike during 1994. So they it, brought in a baseball character for this. It's not subtle. <laughs> it is not. But then again, remember, <laughs> remember um, in the mid-2000s, when WWE were, I think they had a show booked at Staples Centre, and then... So the playoff went to like game seven or something like that for the NBA or something mm. similar to that. And they had to move venue and then the heels came out in the new venue in like Lakers tops and they were the baddies. And then that, yeah. the hometown team were wearing the home team jersey for the cheap pop. But yeah. <laughs> they bloody love sports references. Why, why they would book a venue that could potentially be, you know, in the finals. <laughs> Seems an odd choice. Ah, this is real sports, damn it. This is good shit. Indeed. So, that happens. And then Mabel holds Double J's arms behind his back. Oster clocks Double J. Ref? Can he do that, Joey? Thank you very much. The ref does nothing. Mabel misses Pancake City, as Vince calls it. Seems like my kind of place until you realise Mabel probably ate all the pancakes already. And again, Vince McMahon probably thought back to 94 and went... New Day, you know what you guys need? Pancakes. <laughs> Big E, oh, take shit. it to Pancake City. Wow. The correlation is saddening. That's, that's yeah. Mm, nice spot. Double J moves out the way of the big whoopsie. Jared grabs a leg. One, two, three. Yes, Double J wins. Double J wins. And then, run, Jeff. <laughs> There's a big stiff pancake hog coming for you. <laughs> what a description. <laughs> Oh Jesus! I mean, Jarrett's the best, isn't he? What what a legend, a TNA legend. We basically do a Jeff Jarrett podcast. We've got to put him over. I thought it was brilliant here, considering what he had to work with, and the crowd. And <laughs> what Mabel? Yeah, <laughs> future King of the Ring winner Mabel. Yeah, big vis. Yeah, just rest in peace and all that. But fucking, he was bad, wasn't he? 
I remember once when there was the rumors he was told to learn some new moves and, and a move set, and he did um, like a senton leg drop off the top rope, which basically looked like he did a forward roll <laughs> off the top rope and just squished some poor jobber's head. Uh-huh. There's a moment in this match where, <clears throat> excuse me, he does something. I remember just looking down and seeing Jeff Jarrett's face go, oh, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, he's not protecting anyone, that's for sure. Someone thinks it's a rib. <laughs> oh, let's put Jarrett in with Mabel. Uh, Jarrett probably <laughs> doesn't have any ribs left after this match. <laughs> Vince introduces more Leslie Nielsen, George Kennedy stuff. Um, there's a take a silhouette behind them and they miss it and they hot dog to the crowd and blah, 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 blah. Uh, Brett, Brett Owen video package. Here we go. He kicked his leg out of his leg tax. <laughs> Outrageous. Unbelievable. <laughs> How do you have a Brett Owen video package and you don't put in the leg out of this leg moment? <laughs> like, I know it's a botch, but it's so good. <laughs> this would have been the focus of the storyline for me. At least we had the visual of the leg being kicked out from his leg. Sure. I love the way Brett sells it. I know we've talked about it before, but fucking hell, he sold it like it was shot. It's so good. So since we last visited the Brett Owen feud and we left WrestleMania 10 with Owen standing on the ramp, seething that Brett had won the title, uh, Owen has been on to win King of the Ring. He has indeed. The King of Hearts. With the assistance of a certain gentleman. Who the rhino. <laughs> Jim the Anvil Neidhart. That's what Stu Hart always called him. He always referred to him as the rhino. Oh, okay, fair enough. I mean, he's a bit of a rhino. I see it, yeah. Um, so Brett's feuding with the Click Lads around now as well. And Careless. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Don't do that uh, for your career. So there's a great bit of storytelling with Neidhart where he's kind of backing Brett and Owen in different matches, but Brett's their face and Owen's the hu- uh, Owen the, Owen's the heel. But it, it kind of gets unveiled that Neidhart is only helping Brett so that Owen can be the one to take the bell, not anyone else, which is a really nice bit of storytelling. Good use, good use of a, a former tag partner. So then you've got all that story that he's tagging, you know, supporting the newer generation yeah, as well. Absolutely. Uh, Bruce Hart cuts a promo on Owen. Of course Owen he fucking Hart. does. <laughs> Fuck off, Bruce. <laughs> Fuck off, Bruce, eh? So setting up tonight's match in a solid steel cage. Big Quality. Blue is back. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's the big blue cage. It looks fucking great. Between Brett and Owen, the qual- there's quality promos here. It's really, really well done. I'm like, I have a note here that says, if you think Brett can't cut a promo, maybe reconsider. But Brett kind of throws that under the bus later. So <laughs> we'll go with that in a minute. So Stu and Helen Hart are at ringside again. The parents of Brett and Owen, obviously. I'm assuming everyone listening to this knows that. Uh, and Vincent Mann and Lawler are the guys doing the interviews from commentary. And so I've got this bit where it's like, Davy, Davy, boy of the jungle, fast as he can be. <laughs> it was Davy, Davy needs LASIK. <laughs> <laughs> so Bulldog's here with long curly hair, proper like jungle boy hair. It's, it's so weird to see him like this. A tan colored waistcoat, no shirt mind, <laughs> just the waistcoat. And a facial expression looking like Penfold out of Danger Mouse with glasses (laughs) to boot. Because he's bizarre, Tax. Bizarre, Davy Boy Smith. I never remember that gimmick. Oh, it's so good. Davy cuts a little promo and stuff. Oh, fuck it. I love him. 
Oh, I miss him so much. Um, Anvil was sitting in the crowd right behind Bulldog, probably handing him some crack now and again, you know. Um, does this <laughs> explain where all those empty seats were earlier, like the hearts have turned up and filled them out, you know? I really hate it. It's like when we did gigs and people just turn up to watch their mates play and leave. <laughs> That's what happened here. The hearts arrived to watch Brett and Owen and fucked off for the main. Oh, I relate strongly. So, Brett backstage with, yay, Todd Bettengill. A Pettengill, is that it? Todd Pettengill. That's the one. G-I-L-L or G-E-L-L? I've got the exact spelling down in my notes. Give me two sex. This is the important stuff we cover, you know. Todd Pettengill, P-E-T-T-E-N-G-I-L-L. Pettengill. I always had it as Pettengill. So Brett is recovering from strep throat, apparently. Whatever the fuck that is. But it doesn't A mean... sore throat? <laughs> there we go. But it, I think it's a very, very sore throat. I think it is actually serious, but whatever. He had COVID. <laughs> yeah, let's put it. Brett, COVID Brett <laughs> is here tonight, being irresponsible when talking interviews with Todd Pettengill. But um, it doesn't mean anything according to Brett. He's like, no, no, just ignore that. Don't worry about it. Why the fuck are you mentioning it then? Just get on with it. But anyway. While I, while I remember, interesting Brett Hart factoid mm-hmm. regarding the WWE Network a lot of Bret Hart content has been removed this week from the WWE Network. And it seems to have to do with his matches in Stampede. Because it turns out while while WWE owns the tape library for Stampede, Bret owns all his own individual matches. Oh, I thought there was a massive dispute with Stampede and that none of it was on the network. So I remember trying to find some. So full shows aren't on there, but on like best of matches where oh. other wrestlers were part of Stampede, they're on there because they own the tape library. But I think because so much relates to Brett, Owen, etc. Martha won't let any Owen Hart stuff be there if she can possibly have it or has ownership to it. And mm-hmm. all of Brett's stuff is owned by him. So I wonder, and it's odd because I think he was on the bump last week on their little breakfast online network show. But it just seems really bizarre. Like they've taken off a lot of Bret Hart content. As I'm going to try and scroll through my notes, because obviously it was relevant to a a Bret and Owen um, show. I thought I'd take note of this, and I'll just see if I can sure. find it as a as a footnote to what we uh, what we were doing. I don't definitively know it, but I imagine Bret owns the rights to Stampede. You imagine he'd be the guy. Well, I said he's. WWE apparently owned the rights to Stampede, but Brett oh. owns all of his the rights to all of his Just own his individual matches. matches. That is kind of weird, you know. It's a bit of an odd one. Um, oh. oh, I can't find it in my notes anyway. I'm sure I'll keep scrolling. I'll see if I can find it while we're we're chatting because this isn't good good audio. Can you uh, find your three shows? But yeah, I, I can't find it anyway. I had it, I had it written down. This is a waste of time. <laughs> so Brett is doing this uh, strep throat promo, as we're going to call it. Uh, I remember what I said about Brett being quite good at promos. Yeah. Hmm. This is not great, is it? Yeah, it's strep throat. <laughs> so, yeah, he doesn't uh, exactly back up my statement from earlier. He gets across the points, but he's stumbling and rambling. I think at one point they cut into the arena just to be like, can we just cut away from this? Is this okay? Um, but, you know, yeah, it is what it is. Uh, they don't Brett, do an Brett Hart promo. just works sick. When he wrestled the yeah. mountain with a temperature yeah. of 104, that yep, was irresponsible. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. now he's wrestling with strep throat. He could pass that on. Fucking hell, Brett, wear a mask. As Fink introduces the match, we cut to a close-up of some gaffer tape holding the ring together. <laughs> Yay, <laughs> Good work. <laughs> 
Oh, here we go. Part two of our trilogy. WF World Heavyweight Championship match. The Steel Cage match of Bret Hart, the current champion, versus his younger brother, Owen. Owen plays the smarmy, obnoxious heel so brilliantly. I know we've talked about it before, but it's worth saying again. He makes his entrance. He's chatting to the camera. He's celebrating in front of the fans. He's got the same glasses that Brett has, you know, being an obnoxious little prick. He's so fucking good, man. All hail Owen Hart. Fucking A. Insta goosebumps as Brett's music kicks in. Can't help it anymore. Bruce and Davy Boy give Brett a hug. Uh, but not Owen. Brett climbs in the cage and Owen instantly attacks Brett straight away. Double At F- this stage, Go I on. thought to myself, fucking hell, has Nightheart just thrown Tipex over the back of Brett's shirt or someone spaffed over his gear in the back? Because all of a sudden it's got all mm. these white speckles all over it. It does. It's, uh... I thought it looked a bit like, you know, um, what do you call it? Uh, like a star diagram or something? Like A, a constellation. There you go. I quite liked it. I know it does look a bit like... It's not like that AJ Styles t-shirt where someone did spaff on a t-shirt just to try and sell it. <laughs> no, basically it looked like Brett had been doing decorating and not checked <laughs> the paint splatter. Yeah, he got his like, you know, old workman onesie out. <laughs> he's just on the third bedroom and now he's got to go and wrestle in Chicago. <laughs> They've got like 20 brothers. They've all got a bedroom. <laughs> It's like bloody the Waltons or something like they that. They all live in one giant house, you know. <laughs> good night, Bruce. <laughs> good night. <laughs> good night, Owen. <laughs> good night, Martha. Oh, oh Stu. <laughs> I fucking love Stu. <laughs> so, WF, careful now. <laughs> WF cage match rules. They were all happy at this time. It's fine. WF cage match rules are really fucking dumb when you break them down. You know, the door being open, but everyone tries and climbs over the top and you can't do a pinfall or a submission at this time. It's, it's It doesn't make any sense when you really break it down. Also, it means every baby face is fucking stupid. Do you want yeah. us to walk out that door? No, I'll climb really slowly over this cage. Yeah, like and Owen at, least- at times has the clear advice, Brett is down. He could just step out the door because he's a dickhead heel and he wants to win. But he has to like slowly wander across to the cage, slowly climb the cage. You know, it's shit, to be fair, the, the, the context they're wrestling in. Gimmick matches like this annoy me because all of a sudden simple household tasks like climbing a fence and climbing a ladder <laughs> suddenly become fucking rocket science. Left foot goes here. But what do yeah. I do with my right foot? I will pause for 10 seconds to think and survey the crowd. Even with these two doing it, like two of the very best of all time it's still a bit weird at least to start with i have never really enjoyed a cage match let's fly through this a little bit i've only got some of it written down so i'm gonna be honest i went in with this going um i know i love these two i know how good they are i know how good the story is but it's a cage match in big blue they're not going to take any crazy bumps that I'm probably not going to care. You know, they're going to do a wrestling match. They'll do some of the climbing and everything. But that's not how it goes. They really got me invested, man. To the point where I went in going, oh, okay. And came out going, holy shit, that was so much fun. Did you feel the same? I, I think, unfortunately, as I said, like with the cage match comment, I, I, I always go in with a case of it's a cage match. And... Whilst, as we as we get to it, the finish was very creative. 
and the in-ring work. You know, you can't fault what they were doing in the ring. I just can't buy into the the story. And I know the whole idea of the cage match was to stop everyone coming in. And But so far, it's only been Neidhart who's been coming in. So why need a cage for Jim Neidhart when he's sat at ringside? Okay, I understand what you mean. As in the build doesn't deserve a cage match at this point. It should be something else, maybe. It should have, I mean, what they should have done realistically, Owen should have kept winning the belt and getting over Brett because of outsized interference from Neidhart, from a heel Davy Boy Smith. And then Brett can get his revenge when it's just the, t- the two of them. Having Brett try and escape the cage and having Anvil and Neidhart, Anvil and Neidhart, Anvil and, and Davy Boy outside preventing him from escaping the cage that way, that would have been the way to end the story with Brett retaining the belt, putting the belt on Owen, mm. letting him run it as a dastly heel. Interesting. But I think it, in the big just picture, means, you can't put the belt on Owen. It has to be Brett that holds the belt for a long time. Yeah, the, the, but that's the thing. The end goal was going to be, would it be Brett finally passing the torch to his younger brother Owen? Or would it be the click taking over and just running away with it and leaving them to their own yeah. devices? Or in that's this the, instance, that's Bob like Backlund. Un- yeah, that's like the unfortunate bit that ends up derailing the heart stuff. and Just Sean and Diesel and stuff hog the belt almost, you know. But then it leads to Brett and Sean, which is has a terrible ending. But my God, the the feud was so hot, so much fun, you know. So I guess it worked out in the end. Yeah, just it it didn't. I think had Owen been given a a title push at this stage, mm. whilst he was young and re- relatively unfamiliar out to the American audiences, just as Brett's brother having him as that with that main event caliber would have kept him away from blue blazer which would have you know it's it's all personal thought process rather than wrestling i i think more of my is my bitterness of how the long-term booking of owen came about from here and don't get me wrong owen went and did some great things like we said last week about the nation like we said with his his stuff with yoko as well it was great but had they put the belt on him here things like blue blazer would have been beneath him yeah no i agree with you i would have loved to have seen it um, I think, I think in, from Vince's perspective, he's desperate for a star, and I don't know why he refused to not make Brett that guy until now, you know. But I think now he's done it; he's pulled the trigger. Like he must be so reluctant to take the belt off him, unless it's like you know, someone who's an outstanding, spectacular star. And let's face it, like Brett and Owen are very similar in terms of caliber of being known, all that sort of shit. And Brett is definitely the more popular of the two. I'd agree with that. And as you said, mm. you know, I can't take off anything from the in-ring action. And it was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. But also, because how good the match was at WrestleMania 10, like you, my my preconception of going into this without seeing this for such a long time was, ah, this isn't going to hold a candle to WrestleMania 10. Yeah, sure. I get it. So uh, quick things. Let's go through a couple of the notes just so we can get a context of the match. People that haven't seen it, maybe. Uh, both guys diving for the cage door regularly. Owen does a top rope flat back bump drop kick. It's fucking brutal looking. Brett dumps Owen off the top rope at least five or six times in this match. It's like genuinely impressive how these bumps the guys are taking. There's brilliant bits with Bulldogs cheering on Brett and screaming for the sharpshooter two minutes into the match. Anvil out of his brain cheering on Owen. Stu thinking he's home putting mittens on his kittens, you know? <laughs> The fans behind Dan will be like, sit the fuck down, mate. <laughs> Every time Owen climbs the cage, the crowd get excited. But then when it's Brett finally getting his chance later in the match to climb the cage, the crowd go absolutely fucking bonkers. 
And it gets more and more intense as it goes along. The whole damn match is about escaping the cage. It's not, let's do five minutes of wrestling spots, then maybe we'll think about how to climb the cage. Literally, everything they're doing is, I've got you down. Oh, shit, I better get up the cage. And so at least they're... I know this is kind of a cliche, but this is the first match in a long time where I've seen that really focusing on the rules of the match and trying to escape the cage was the only thing they were focused on. And I think it made the match more entertaining and I kind of got more involved. Like, you know, there's a point in the match where the crowd start to do a slow clap and it's kind of like a cheesy American movie almost, but naturally occurring. That's pretty rare. They certainly played to the psychology needed for a cage match. And the fact that they mainly focused on escape the cage was, I'd say, what's the word I'm looking for here? Refreshing Yeah, from a cage match perspective. There wasn't too much grabbing someone by the head and running and ramming it into it. So as you said, while there isn't a, it's not like a technical masterclass and a one-upsmanship, it wasn't cage match hardcore spotty spotty yeah so again i i liked it for 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 a, for a person who dislikes cage matches quite a lot but i just i just yeah i i think you knew something was going to happen with the finish and i i think about halfway through this match i was ready to get there because while it was very good they were trying to do the one upsmanship of get, trying to get out of the cage i think whilst they're focusing on the rules and they were trying to be as innovative as they can. There's only so many ways you can drag someone back in over that cage. It started yeah. getting a little bit repetitive for me. Yeah, and when Brett grabs the leg for the 10th time, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, fine, fair enough. Well, Owen uh, kicked the leg out of his leg, so he's trying to get revenge. <laughs> There's one bit where they change it up, where Brett is practically out of the cage, and Owen basically springboards up and grabs his head like he's going to fucking tear it off. And just yanks his brother back over the cage, like, legit. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. I love how stiff these two could be with each other and still be okay, you know? It's really good. Brothers. And it, it, mm-hmm. the one thing, the one constant with this and Mania 10 as well is that it's Brett's insistence on making sure Owen has his time to shine in this match. Sure. So there's a moment in the middle of the match where they're running towards the cage. Brett drops down. Owen accidentally rams himself into the cage, which gets a huge pop. And Brett is down, suddenly selling his knee like he's hurt again. And you're like, oh, is this Owen's moment? And it's such a lovely moment from Brett because you can see Owen's fucked up. But, oh, no, Brett's down and it's much worse than Owen is down as. So Brett tries to escape, but then Owen catches him and you're like the whole cat and mouse storyline. Uh, it's really, really fun. Um, the entire crowd kind of get into it as the match goes on. The kids are jumping out of their seats having a really good time. Owen does an epic Brat Pratt fall Aloha off the top rope. Uh, Brett gives Owen a superplex from the top of the cage, kind of. He's got a foot on the cage, at least. There is certainly contact with the top of the cage. <laughs> Which gets Vince to say, unbelievable, twice in a row. Really cool. Owen locks in the sharpshooter and screams, I'm going to break his legs. The belt is going to be mine. Such a good little smarmy heel. Brett reverses the sharpshooter into one of his own. Owen taps, and because Brett is a face, he breaks the hold. Remember, there is no submission in this match. Still, Brett can't escape without Owen stopping him double down as both men take another bump off the top rope. 
both climb the cage both get their legs over the cage and now are on the outside of the cage all they've got to do is fall to victory owen gets his foot stuck in the cage wall his leg slides through he falls backwards not falling to the ground because his foot is stuck what an awesome fucking spot brett leaps to the floor and still wf world heavyweight champion brett the hitman heart great visual of owen hanging upside down to finish something very unique absolutely man so and, uh, and only replicated on my wcw cage wrestling fi- thing <laughs> do you remember these toys when you were younger the wcw cage with the um the springy top rope and the spring in ring step to jump people over the top rope i had uh some wf uh figures i never had a ring uh but i never had anything wcw i didn't think i i don't think i know that existed in this time yeah i had a wcw wrestling ring and it had a ring step that you pressed the button and it flung the wrestler over the top rope or they had a top rope where you had like a pull down and release and it made them jump off the top rope so i played my wwf figures in my wcw ring nice so post-match anvil looks pissed off and charges at davy boy out of nowhere like a rhino <laughs> but he doesn't just push davy boy over the the uh, guardrail into the arena. he also pushes diana as well you're like oh jesus she takes such a nasty bump to the concrete and this is where the family started falling to pieces. Fucking mm. Jim Neidhart. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there's this whole thing with Anvil cut, jumps into the cage with Owen and Brett. And they're beating up Brett. But Anvil can't get the lock on the cage door to work. And he's just going, hang on a minute. <laughs> As the hearts are trying to break in. He's like, no, 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 no. Don't do it yet. Hang on a minute. Like, he's so loud. He's screaming it. He is not keeping kayfabe at all. This is what happens in real life before the real fights. No, no. Hold on a minute. Let me lock you out. <laughs> Stay there. Have a chat. So it's it's a fun little segment. Owen and Anvil eventually get the lock on the door. and They're beating up Brett two on one inside the cage, fending off all the other hearts. The hearts finally run off Owen and Anvil when Bulldog finally manages to climb the cage like the jungle boy that he is. what a match what a series of amazing moments Uh, I had a great time I know you went into it so much but yeah I was genuinely surprised really really fun anything that starts with Bruce Hart thinking he's part of the fucking show annoys me (laughs) so Todd Pettengill yay chasing after Owen and Anvil backstage even though WCW did that in 1996 first right (laughs) so a wild Tully Blanchard appears by the way I don't know if you spotted him big old Tully yeah absolutely as Owen and Anvil walk off, Owen again proves he is the king of one-liners by after losing the match going, let's go celebrate my victory. Woo! As he walks <laughs> off. He's so great. So we get a brief Survivor Series promo, our third and final part of this trilogy. Please tune in next week. Um, who the fuck booked Undertaker versus Undertaker to follow Brett versus Owen? It's what the fans wanted. Fucking hell, Vince. What does he have against Brett, do you think? Why didn't he make him the guy? Canadian. Do you think that's what it is? It could have been that I, shitty promo we cut earlier. Well, he had strep throat. He had COVID. <laughs> he, had 94, he had COVID-1994. As long as they don't put Brett live with a microphone, just do it all pre-tapes. He's fine. Yeah, it, it, it didn't help the, the criticism. But as we said, if Brett has a sit-down promo about a live mic, he is absolute dynamite. His delivery of... Of everything is really good. And, you know, 
if he's not 100% having a microphone shoved in his face, knowing for well that he's not main eventing SummerSlam, and it's highlighted by chains from DOA, <laughs> I'd be fucked off and not want to cut a promo. I'd be like, yep, yep, sure, it's really good, yeah. isn't it? I'm, Owen, oh, you've done this to me. What's the fucking point? Because no it's... one cares, because they all care about Mark Calloway and fucking, like, was it? Um, oh, what's the name of his... Um, nine one one. What's the name of his? What's the real name of Brian something? Brian Lee. That's there it. you go. So DiBiase uh, and Taker and this whole storyline coming in with DiBiase bringing back not Undertaker or Mini Taker as I put him here because <laughs> he's like a good half a foot shorter than the actual Undertaker. Shouldn't James. have done the face to face in the ring. <laughs> they really shouldn't have, should they? So, but Bearer comes out calling bullshit, says he's Undertaker, blah, 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 blah. Let's blah, 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 just skip over. There's a really good bit at this moment where they're doing this video package and Todd Pettengill's doing the voiceover and he goes, and talks about uh, Lawler and sarcastically goes, oh, that brain surgeon, Jerry Lawler. <laughs> I was like, ah, that's really <laughs> funny. <laughs> so, uh, Taker over the venue, speakers uh, interrupts DBRC's shitty mini Taker segments and is coming back, but they haven't seen Undertaker yet is basically what's going on. So, Ted DiBiase out first, you know, for the sixth or seventh time on the show, introduces The Undertaker. So, Fake Taker comes out, chains. And it was at this point I realized that Taker's gimmick seems like it's easy to pull off, right? You, oh, hello. you, uh, you walk slowly and then you do things fast occasionally, right? Yeah. And then... You think that's easy, and then you see this, and you're like, apparently not, because <laughs> fucking hell, this guy can't do it. Chains was shit in this role. He really yeah. was. The thing is that he's not doing the worst Undertaker impression. He looks quite a lot like Undertaker in terms of his face and his hair and tattoos and some of his physique. <laughs> you know? But there's something about the aura of Taker which is unique to him. No one can do this gimmick like he does it. The no selling, which I'm sure we'll get to from Chains Taker, mm. it's like someone in the fucking Brit West Indies who's being booked as a monster and is still and, and trying not to sell. Yeah, basically been told by a promoter, "Don't sell. You're the big man. You shouldn't sell." And that person gets punched in the face and just goes, "Do." <laughs> All right, mate. Yes, I'm the Undertaker. <laughs> Rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> Fink gives the game up immediately by introducing the actual taker as the one, the only, <laughs> the Undertaker. And you're like, fucking hell, Fink. Bury and kayfabe as fast as you can. Bloody hell, Fink. Uh, so funny. You know he's bantering off on the taker here. This is great. So, Paul Bearer comes out. I'm going over all the theatrics because this is the most interesting part of the match. Uh, and turns to, uh, turns to bring out this coffin. Do you want to go over this bit? He summons four very clumsy druids yeah, who the bring out coffin, you know. the double-sized coffin from Rumble 94, which was built by the Undertaker's bare hands, you know, hands yeah. of a bear, mm-hmm. um, to store Yoko in. But it didn't go that way. He pulls it to ringside. Everyone's speculating, it's going to have the Undertaker in it. It's going to have the Undertaker in it. Opens up the coffin. All of a sudden, we've now got a double-sized urn. What the fuck's happened here? And the smoke so, machine, don't forget. They put a smoke the, machine in the coffin. <laughs> they put a smoke machine in the coffin. They bought an urn that's bigger than Paul Bearer's gut. It's twice the size of his fucking head. It's gigantic. 
But then it becomes apparent why the urn has suddenly doubled in size. It turns out someone's put a fucking torch in it. <laughs> it's a giant spotlight. It looks so good. Paul Bearer goes into the ring and then pretends that the the, the top of the urn is wibbling oh. and wobbling to try and take off. But it just made me think that Paul, Paul Bearer is a bit nervous. <laughs> To try and get the I top off on live great. TV. You're being mean. Paul Barrett did such a good job of selling this shit. Like, this is difficult. And he's like going, oh, oh, <laughs> as he's lifting the top off and this light's coming out. I laughed. I thought it was funny. That, and there lies the problem. You <laughs> laughed. You thought it was funny. <laughs> Paul Barrett's going to be like, oh, this is very serious. Look at the power of the urn and the follow spot, which is now remote spot. Ooh. Sure. Um, but, uh, following this, here he is. Big old bugger head on his way to the ring. Big evil. It's your main event of the evening. The Undertaker versus Chains. Yes, you heard me correctly. <laughs> DBRC uh, is selling the Taker appearance so well. Constant state of shock as the match goes on. Selling every little light and smoke and whatever theatrics. Like He's the best, man. He's so good. Um, so as the camera shows the difference in height for the first time, Lawler <laughs> on commentary goes, they're identical. <laughs> and there's about a 20 second pause while you know they've got that finger on the button in commentary just pissing themselves laughing <laughs> because there's a good foot of difference in height between these two. Or oh. Vince is basically tearing him a new one. They're not identical. <laughs> Dang, now mate, get that camera angle right there. Fucking it's... hell, Jerry. Jerry Lawler, even in his like, you know, the 97, 96 or whatever. He's like, he would say this like this. and be like, they're identical. Like he's an, uh, uh, an evil lying heel. Here he's saying it like, fuck this guy. <laughs> <laughs> he does not give a shit at this point. It's so funny, man. So It's almost like they don't believe in the, this, this main event concept. Absolutely. They're all doing their best to get this over. The guys in the ring and the guys on the outside. But it's just so silly. They face off. Chains gets on his tippity toes as Taker squats down a bit and I piss myself laughing. <laughs> Cue the shitty mirror match. Chains is... He's a... He's, there. An, oh, <laughs> he's a decent enough worker. Let's be fair. He can take a bump. He can do the basics. You know what I mean? And we all know how good Taker is. Just, just no to this whole narrative. It's fucking dumb as shit. You, you, as you said about the gimmick and being able to replicate Undertaker's gimmick, fuck me, changed the whole concept of working slow. This was awful. Mm. I, I had real fond memories of this match when I was younger and I was so excited to watch it again. And watching it now, now I pay more attention to the in-ring stuff rather than the spooty spotlight in an urn. I just thought, fuck me. He's so slow. And his, his no-selling is just the shit. <laughs> This is a show where, like, you know, the fans are quite keen for Tatanka and Lex Luger and Jeff Jarrett versus Mabel. But the second it's Undertaker versus Undertaker, they are dead. It's fucking silent in there. I mean, maybe they didn't realise from far away which was the real Undertaker, Grey Undertaker <laughs> or Purple Undertaker. Hey, 23,000 people, or close to, being absolutely silent is kind of weird that's got to be so unsettling being a wrestler and just like no one's shouting at you 
Everyone's just watching in disdain, going, fucking hell. Wait, well, that's not, that's not disdain. That's 23,000 people going, fuck me, I saw his spirit leave the coffin at Rumble 94. I thought he was dead. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to go home, back to my home planet. <laughs> See ya, Poochie. My name's Quark, and I'm going back to the planet Zog. So, take a clothesline's taker. <laughs> taker throws taker over the top. What Take- a maneuver. <laughs> Taker does old school to Taker, even though it's not called that yet. Taker takes a tombstone from Taker. Taker reverses Taker's tombstone. This sounds Take- like Fox in Socks by <laughs> Dr. Zeus. Fox in Socks. Taker takes Taker. Taker tombstones Taker. Taker takes Taker to the tombstone. Take, take, Taker, 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 tombstone Taker. Ta-ta-tunker. <laughs> I like the Lex appearance halfway through. That was great. So, Taker reverses Taker's tombstone for Taker to give Taker a tombstone. (laughs) Taker gives Taker another tombstone. Taker gives Taker another tombstone. Kane Undertaker at WrestleMania 14. This is not. That match is slow. Fucking hell. Baby Earl with the slow main event pinfall count when it really isn't justified (laughs) for the one, two... Three. <laughs> the crowd is there. Yep. There's the some people leaves. sitting. <laughs> Taker is beating Taker. <laughs> Brett versus Owen should have been the main event. The bookies pay out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That match was shit. Oh, it was awful. Absolutely awful. George Kennedy and Leslie Nielsen give us the mighty payoff to their segments by finding a closed case. So the case is closed. Yeesh. Okay. Who who writes this shit? And we're out of here. Thank fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I know you've had a bit of a shitty week, but there's some good stuff on this show, man. In fairness, up till the main event, this was very enjoyable. Yeah. So Head Very Shrinkers versus Million, Bam Bam and Owen our show that I could watch all day. Bullocano was great. My God, she's just the best. I love her so much. And against a plucky face like Alondra Blaze, perfection. Diesel Razor Ramon, really fun story. Bit of shit. Uh, Tunker versus Lex Luger, hilariously bad. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Jarrett versus Mabel, hilariously bad. Great stuff. Brett Owen. And yeah, just forget about what happened after that. I, I yeah, this is a this is a three for me, um, but I loved it. I had a great time. I, I enjoyed it very much, and I'd said from a cage match standpoint, one of the better cage matches, if not the best cage match you'll probably ever watch. For if you're of my viewpoint of cage matches, the fact that as you said, they played to the rules more than anything else, which made it at least sensible from storytelling. It just they. It just got a bit tiresome near the end. And you just knew with Bruce being at ringside, that piece of shit would get involved. <laughs> got a vendetta against Bruce, Bruce Hart. It's not about you, Bruce Hart. Be yeah, a better wrestler and then you'll be on TV. Like wonder, Smith Hart. <laughs> I had a thought that, you know, would Bruce Hart have got over if he wasn't called Bruce Hart? No. Because he's a prick. Fair play. I, I have the same... Actually, no, that's that's not fair because I, I enjoy Lanny Poffo's work, but I always found it quite funny 
that Lanny Poffo always seemed to have to be involved if Savage was involved. Mm. Whereas fucking Bruce Hart was the sort of tag along who'd always like, and maybe I could do this Brett. And maybe I could do this Brett. Maybe, maybe, maybe I could get involved and do this Brett. When all the other Hart brothers are like, just fucking give up, mate. Or as Fair I keep enough. seeing, as no I like keep seeing on, on Twitter Sorry. at the moment, <laughs> where people are saying nice things to female wrestlers, and the generic comment is like, "She's not going to blow you, mate." <laughs> Basically, got, Bruce Hart doing this simp, is like, "They're not going to book, they're not going to book you, mate." Yeah. <laughs> Stop fucking trying so hard. Simp's got a simp. You gotta love it. I don't understand the simp. I'm not modern. Oh, a simp is just someone that, like, you know, sucks up to a woman, basically. Oh. Even though they know they're never going to get anything. Oh, so Josh Bodum, um, Jimmy Havoc, um, Travis Banks. Uh, <laughs> no, I think you've lost the context a little bit there. Oh, no, sorry, simp not a fucking nonce. Oh, yeah. Oh, that. Awkward. Allegedly. I think we should probably end the podcast there. I feel like you're going to go off on one if we don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait! I can't wait for Survivor wanna... Series again. Wait, this... hang, on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Do you want to, you know, rate the show that we did this week? Maybe we did. You I said did. three cornflakes, and I said, yeah, I'd give it a three as well. Okay, I didn't hear that. Fair enough. Oh, sorry. I would definitely give it a three. I think you there immediately were... went on to Brit Rest. <laughs> I was like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> I will tell you a, sh- a little story off pod that's ir- ir- irritated me slightly, but it would make definitely put me in a bad light if I said it on the pod, so I'm not going to do it. All right. So, yeah, next week, Survivor Series. I've never oh, seen this man. show. So oh, this is it. so, so good. So good. Now, Don't build up thing- too much because, you know, I want us to be surprised. So Okay. But c- considering, ladies and gents, that this is the Brett Owen trilogy, don't be disappointed that this match this this card does not feature Brett versus Owen, but Intriguing. but it's totally worth it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, catch us next week. Uh, WorldOfWrestlingPodcast dot is the best place to find all the links and everything. Follow us on Twitter, World of Rest Pod. Uh, I'm at Fanboy Rich. I'm at the Tex Williams. I Sweet. urge you to wear a mask. Yeah, do so. That's a nice thing to do. Buy a t shirt as well. Amazon.co.uk. Money. Give us money. Give us a give give us money. Money. money, and money, you could make a money, mask money, out of money, it. Money, money, money. <laughs> we would like to join the million dollar corporation. At the moment, <laughs> we're joining the hundred pound corporation. <laughs> Take care, everyone. Bye, bye, bye. I cannot believe what I just saw, Owen. Please tell me why, why this despicable why, act. Why, I don't, what? Why, what? I don't understand. You want to know why? Red Hart, you're nothing but a selfish person. I went in there in a tag team match for the biggest match of my life. It was a dream come true. I thought I had the best partner in the world, my own brother, but you're too selfish, like I've said all along. Your ego is too big. You only worry about yourself, Brett. You don't care about me. Unbelievable in front of your entire family. I don't care about anybody. I was concerned about myself and my whole family. The biggest opportunity in my life. I had a chance, Brett, and you stripped it away from me. You took it away from me, Brett, because you're too selfish. All you had to do was just tag me. My hand was there. Just tag me. I knew your leg was bad. I was aware of that. Just tag me. But you're too selfish. You just want to put your sharpshooter on. I could have won the match. I don't need you with a bad leg doing a break. You're too damn selfish. And that's why you're sitting there with a bad leg. And that's why I kicked your leg out of your leg.
The louder you guys are, the better the wrestlers will perform for you tonight.